The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, it's Thursday the 28th of January in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, global debt markets are close to their biggest two-month gain on record as investors gamble on central bank interest rate cuts. The shipping firm Hapag Lloyd says the Red Sea trade route is still too risky for its vessels. And Apple wins a reprieve to sell its smartwatches while it fights a patent claim by a medical device maker. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Global bonds are on track to post their biggest two-month gain on record. The news comes as traders ramp up expectations that major central banks will slash interest rates next year. James Camp, Managing Director of Fixed Income at Eagle Asset Management, is watching volatility in the market closely. The move index, the, the measure of treasury volatility, unlike the, the VIX, the measure of equity volatility, is still extremely elevated. So the highway of interest rate outcomes for the 10 years is still very wide. So caution on duration, particularly on the taxable side, is warranted here. Camp's comments to Bloomberg come as recession fears for some are strengthening the case to own bonds. The Bloomberg Global Aggregate Total Return Index rose nearly 10% over November and December. That's its best run in data which goes back to 1990. The shipping giant Hapag Lloyd says it will keep its ships away from the Red Sea amid fears of further attacks from militants. That's despite decisions by rivals Maersk and CMA-CGM to return to the route after the launch of a US-led task force to protect ships travelling in the area. Spot rates for container shipping have jumped by 26% over the past four weeks as vessels take longer routes to avoid the Red Sea. The United States has announced its final military aid package of the year for Ukraine worth $250 million. That's as political wrangling has held up agreement over further support. The US Secretary of State Antony Blinken called on Congress to act as soon as possible to approve more spending. The Biden administration says it's provided more than $44 billion in military aid to Kyiv since Russia's full-scale invasion began 22 months ago. A new Bloomberg survey of economists shows they think Britain will avoid a recession next year. The aggregate of their expectations is for growth of 0.3% in 2024. Avoiding a recession would be a boost for the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, who set March the 6th as the date of the spring budget. But Labour's Shadow Financial Secretary to the Treasury, James Murray, says the government is stuck in internal squabbles. The briefings around inheritance tax are a sign of desperation from Rishi Sunak because he's desperate uh, to keep his backbenchers um, on side. Naturally, it's conservative uh, internal politics which is driving these briefings uh, rather than any consideration of what's right for people across the country. Well, despite the Labour politicians' words, the spring budget will likely be the Chancellor's last chance to change tax and spending policies before the general election in the UK. 
Apple has won the right to continue selling specific models of its smartwatches for the time being. The company says its Series 9 and Ultra 2 watches are back in retail stores and will be available online on Thursday. Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet has more. It comes after a court ruling in a patent fight providing a quick reprieve for its $17 billion business. The U.S. International Trade Commission had banned the import and sale of the products at Apple's official channels after it ruled in favor of Massimo Corp, a medical device maker, in a patent infringement case. Apple pulled the watches from its website on December 21st and in retail stores on Christmas Eve. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Radio. Well, turning to news from here in Europe, the former president of the European Commission, Jacques Delors, has died aged 98. He led the EU executive from 1985 to 1995, helping to build the single market, pave the way for the common currency and oversee the expansion of the Union from 10 to 15 countries. Current Commission President Ursula von der Leyen described him as a visionary who made our Europe stronger. Here he is in 2012, speaking about the need for European cooperation in the face of the euro area debt crisis. There was also a lack of spirit of cooperation. Not all powers are in Brussels. We must remind citizens of this often because governments easily attack Brussels on this. Not all powers are in Brussels, they are shared. What we need is a spirit of cooperation. This spirit of cooperation was absent from the Economic Union and mainly from the Council of Finance Ministers. Jacques Delors there speaking through a translator back in 2012. The AFP news agency reports that he died in his sleep at home in Paris on Wednesday. Well, in a moment, we'll be getting the latest on the continuing disruption to shipping through the Red Sea. But one Bloomberg piece that caught my eye this morning, a column from our Bloomberg opinion writer, Lisa Jarvis, about the phenomenon of dry January. Perhaps a bit early to be thinking about it for some of us. But according to data from Morning Consult, fewer Americans gave up drinking alcohol in January of this year. Lisa Jarvis suggesting in this piece that perhaps instead of giving ourselves a hard and fast rules, we should be thinking about a damp January rather than a completely dry one. The idea being to focus on the most important element, which is thinking about our relationship uh, with alcohol after perhaps an indulgent Christmas season for some of us. She quotes George Koob, who's director of the US National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, as saying the key guidelines are setting standards, sticking to them and then monitoring your progress. Perhaps some food for thought as we head into the new year from Lisa Jarvis from Bloomberg Opinion. You can find that piece on the terminal and of course on Bloomberg.com as well. Let's get back to the markets and that global bond rally. One Bloomberg index tracking returns showing its best run on record after gains of nearly 10% over November and December. This as traders continue to focus on when central banks will cut rates next year. Our currency and rate strategist Ven Ram joins us now for more. Ven, great to have you with us. Can you put the scale of this bond rally in context for us? How big is it? Morning, Stephen. It is pretty big. I mean, if you look at the global bond market rally, we haven't rallied this hard in the past. Uh, the rally of the past two months is, is the deepest that we have seen since um, two, uh, since 1990, to be precise. So it's a it's, it's a big scale of rally that we are talking about. Some of the recent enthusiasm towards bonds is eminently understandable. 
considering that major central banks except the BOJ preparing the markets to expect rate cuts in 2024. I think the long bond trade has a sound basis in the U.S., considering that the Fed has the most restrictive policy rate among the major central banks. The ECB has less of a real policy rate to boast of, while the BOE has negative real policy rate if you take into account the U.K.'s sticky services inflation, which is still holding above 6%. So the global bond market rally is kind of uneven, is more sanctified in the U.S. and to a lesser degree in the U.S. Eurozone and is definitely questionable to some degree in the U.K., if you ask me. Yeah, I'm very interesting. Uh, given the the move in the move in yields, perhaps uh, has been uh, more exaggerated in some places than others. I, I'm interested in the U.S. Treasury auctions from this week as well, though the two and the five year auctions that took place, both seeing very strong demand. What should we be reading into that? Absolutely. With rates, uh, with rates having reached the peaks for the cycle, the hunger for shorter dated notes is kind of well-founded in the U.S. After all, you're still getting a 4% plus rate, which you can't find anywhere else in the developed world. And it's not just about the yield you get. You're also buying into this notion of capital gains should the Fed, uh, should the Fed cut rates as deeply as the markets expect, which is some 150 basis points by the end of 2024. So you've got a yield to speak of and potential capital gains. So that's a combustible combination for the markets. What does this mean for central banks then? Are some the markets doing some of their work for them essentially uh, by doing the easing? And does that mean that central banks will be able to keep rates higher for longer? Is there sort of a, a strange cycle going on here? Yeah, it is kind of bizarre. You know, the rally in the bond markets, in a sense, makes life more difficult for some some central banks because of the loose of financial conditions that it spawns. It is less of a problem for the Fed because it can afford some loosening of financial conditions, considering that its real policy rate is the most restrictive. So it will be happy for the markets to do some of its work. But that's not the case. Um, For instance, if you look at the BOE, for example, this breakneck rally has the potential to keep inflation simmering away in the background, frustrating its efforts to get inflation back down to 2%. So it's, it's, it's an odd kettle of fish. Yeah, and making it harder for some, an interesting point uh, on that front for the BOE. What does all of this mean for, for other assets, though? You've been writing recently about the prospects for the NASDAQ in this environment. Well, the NASDAQ 100 index is kind of highly overvalued at current levels. If you imagine technology stocks as very long-duration bonds, estimate their cash flows in the future, and then bring them back to present value, what you find is that the intrinsic value is about 12877 So at current levels, the NASDAQ is uh, overvalued by a staggering 30%. But you know we are in so we are in a kind of a bubble territory like we were in the do- during the days of the dot com except the dot com is now replaced by AI. But but as you know, Stephen, the markets can remain irrational for longer than one can remain solvent. Even so, it's hard to see the Nasdaq hundred doing as well as it as well next year as it did this year. Yeah, very interesting to think about that in that context as well. And I do like your comparison to the dot-com bubble uh, as well. Venram, our currency and rate strategist, thanks so much for joining us uh, with the latest on the markets as we're watching that rally uh, in bonds. Taking a bit of a pause on treasuries this morning as we look at the 10-year yield holding at that 3.8% level, so up a basis point, uh, but just pausing, it seems, as we look at the returns tracked by that Bloomberg Aggregate Index over November and December, reaching gains of nearly 10%. 
The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's turn to the Middle East next. The shipping company Hapag Lloyd says it'll keep its vessels away from the Red Sea trade route after the recent spate of attacks on ships by Houthi militants from Yemen. Our Managing Editor for Economic and Government News in the Middle East, Sylvia Westall, joins us now for more. Sylvia, great to have you with us. So shipping companies are divided on whether or not to use the Red Sea route now. Does this mean that the US-led efforts to protect ships in this area aren't working? Yes, uh, thank you. Yes, I think there's um, quite a bit of confusion about what this US-led plan um, will actually do. Um, It's sort of this this idea of having a protection for shipping um, in this region, it, it actually already exists. There's actually already forces based there. Um, so I think um, some of the companies are a bit uh, confused as to what it will really entail. Um, and um, uh, the US Secretary of Defense is in the region and is meant to outline uh, some of those plans um, over the coming days. Um, so I think, you know, based on this idea before um, of having this sort of force and what's already there, I think it's more about the uncertainty of what it will actually entail and if actually, you know, um, additional ships or additional forces in that area will actually, in fact, cause more risk because um, in a very sort of tightly packed shipping area, the more, um, you know, military ships that you have there, the easier it is for things to kind of slip into something that escalates. So I think that's probably where things are now um, and it's still uh, quite unclear to companies about how this will work and if it will work at all. So, I, I think that's kind of where we are now, um, uh, and uh, like like the companies, where you know um, people covering the region are still trying to understand what this will actually entail. Yes, the situation unclear for shipping companies as well. Though, if we think about this more broadly, though, is the Red Sea the biggest risk for wider escalation of the Israel Hamas war? Something that we've been watching very closely since the start of the conflict. I think it's the biggest risk for um, for things that would affect global markets, um, the shipment of goods and oil, for example. In terms of where things could escalate on the ground, um, you have um, Iraq uh, right now um, and in Syria where you've got, you know, in various areas, groups um, and militia and fighters um, backed by Iran um, and, you know, various sort of proxy um, escalations um, happening there as well. You've had the, the U.S. strategy strikes on groups in Iraq, which uh, the US has said uh, were targeting US troops. These are Iranian-backed groups, Iran's denied involvement. So I think in terms of actual escalation, the flashpoints um, are on on the ground in terms of how things could sort of be more explosive. But in terms of how uh, things could affect global markets and shipments of goods and the things that financial markets look at, it really is the Red Sea that's in focus right now. Meanwhile, diplomatic efforts to see progress in the Israel-Hamas war are continuing. President Biden speaking to Qatari ruler this week. Is there any sign of another ceasefire being agreed or, or being negotiated? 
Well, it's very clear that uh, countries that are watching what's happening um, uh, in terms of Israel's invasion of Gaza um, are are putting pressure on Israel to um, agree to another ceasefire. Um, And uh, it's clear that uh, there is a real um, desire in the international community for things to de-escalate and for that to come to an end. Obviously, Israel says it won't end its um, military operations in Gaza until Hamas has been destroyed, which is kind of a, a kind of quite unclear how long that would take and what they would consider to be a success. So I think uh, for now, at least when you look at um, what Israeli officials are saying in, in local media, there isn't any sign that those efforts are moving forward anytime soon for there to be another pause. Um, but then, you know, the longer this goes on, you know, the, the pressure still uh, will increase more. Um, and uh, it's been reported that uh, US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is on another trip to the region um, in the next few days as well, where this is bound to be a topic that comes up again. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.